Hey, you're still here with George Mason University. Uh, we are here today with a great group. Uh, this week, our article club, the 11th article club so far, revolves around recruitment and retention in physical education, teacher education. Uh, the article we're discussing is titled A Theoretically Informed Conceptual Framework for Recruitment and Retention in Pete. Uh, the authors of this Quest article are Kevin Richards, Ben Kern, Susan Ayers, Amy Woods, and Kim Graber. Um, we're highlighting this article as a part of a focus on recruitment and retention um, as a part of a joint effort by Shape America to increase awareness. So uh, today we have a few members of the Shape America Task Force on Recruitment and Retention with us. Uh, please allow me to introduce Kevin Richards, who is also a lead author on this paper. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Risto. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Susanna Dillon from Texas Women's University. Hi, Susanna. Hey, Risto. Thanks again for inviting us. Yeah. Uh, and Ingrid Johnson from Grand Valley State. Hi, Ingrid. Hi there. Thanks for having me here today. And then we have me. So let me start off with Kevin. Uh, you're a co-author here. So can you uh, just start off and talk about the uh, background of this article, and then we'll go into discussion? Uh, yeah, I appreciate the question, Risto, uh, and I also appreciate you acknowledging the whole team there at the beginning. Um, you know, this really has been a collaborative effort that, that goes all the way back to uh, 2014 um, when I was uh, finishing up my PhD at Purdue um, and transitioning into a postdoc at Northern Illinois. I went, to Illinois. I went to the University of Illinois to give kind of a guest lecture during their colloquium meeting. Um, and, and I talked about, um, you know, socialization and kind of my research to that point. In uh, in one of my um, kind of discussion points or like next directions that I had just kind of randomly thrown on this slide was, um, you know, connecting uh, socialization to to the recruitment of, of physical education teachers. Um, the topic was on my mind. Purdue had just recently decided to close their um, teacher education program in physical education. So I was kind of brainstorming ideas and that one came up. And that led to a conversation with uh, Amy Woods and Susan Ayers that kind of spun us off on this journey um, that we've been on since uh, the publication of this, or since um, you know, 2014 all the way up to the publication of this article uh, that started with um, a Jopard paper on recruitment and retention, looking at how faculty and uh, university faculty and in-service in teachers can get involved in recruiting. Um, and then that led to uh, designing a study that was uh, published as a monograph in the Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. We've talked about that on the podcast previously. Uh, and then this Quest paper where we were kind of, you know, take what we learned through that research and through occupational the uh, socialization theory more generally and use it to kind of develop a framework that can spur recommendations for recruitment. Um, you know, what was our goal with this third and final installment of the project? Yeah, and only only you will have like one random item on a slide that ends up becoming a six year longitudinal work. So uh, good job on that, Kevin. Uh, my random oh, things Susan on slides don't really necessarily lead to anything. So no, Susan and uh, Susan and Amy had actually been batting around this idea before. Uh, and then when Amy saw it on the slide, that kind of cued her in and she pulled me into their ongoing conversation. So let's uh, start off with a question around the horn, uh, and then we'll come back to the article. Um, I want to ask this because we talk about recruitment and retention. So why is recruitment and retention personal to you? We'll start off with Susanna. Oh, okay. Um, I think probably retention and recruitment of um, students is personal to me because I have spent 
my career focused on um, quality physical education instruction for students with disabilities. And in order for that to be successful, for students to be successfully integrated into general PE programs or have individually designed programs, we have to have quality physical education teachers. And with regard to uh, the acculturation process, that means that our prospective teacher candidates have to see quality PE teachers in the classroom uh, appropriately including students with disabilities and teaching them and having them really be uh, a member of the class. And, and it also means that when they go through their PEEP programs, there has to be true and authentic um, experiences that really prepare them for the job so that when they get out into the general physical education classroom and into their K-12 setting, they're ready for the job that awaits them. So recruiting good quality candidates and then retaining the ones um, who get it, as they say, has, is a critical part of the process that gets to meet my end goal, which is quality physical education for all of our students. Awesome. Ingrid? Wow, Susanna just nailed that right there. And um, I pretty much echo everything that she said. And I, I think just to personalize it to me, so I've been in this world for almost 30 years at all grade levels. And um, I am continued to be surprised by how many students that I come across who say, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Or, oh, you have to go to college to become a physical education teacher. Um, you know, how do you, how do you do it? Why do you do it? And so, you know, that's why it's so important to me because again, like Susanna said, if they're not seeing high quality physical education programs, and if people aren't talking to them about this as a worthwhile profession and something that might, um, be their passion, they just don't know it or that they, that they have the opportunity to do it, um, you know, that's why it's important to me. And, I, you know, I, just another piece that happened this last semester, I had a student who transferred from group social studies major to health and physical education major um, kind of late in the game because they didn't know that they could do that. And so, like, we have got to get this word out before they come to college um, and they have to see it. So that's my spinoff. What about you, Kevin? Why is this uh, topic personal? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I think it's personal for me in a few different ways. In a big picture, um, you know, I, I want to ensure, help to ensure a favorable future for, for our profession. Um, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, Susanna's comments really aligned with that. Um, I, I think that uh, both Susanna and Ingrid's comments also kind of align with with kind of another personal focus for me, which is that, it, uh, you know, I see it through the lens of occupational socialization theory, which is, um, you know, kind of my preferred way to see the world and, and the theory that I operate out of uh, most often. Uh, not everybody uses Oxosh to look at um, recruitment and retention. Uh, you know, um, Emily Jones and Sean Bulger, for example, have, have looked at the topic using other theories and other approaches, but I do think that socialization theory presents one viable uh, model. Um, and, and then third, uh, and definitely not least, um, and really what motivated me even before I saw the theoretical connections was living through um, and watching the program at Purdue kind of um, you know, get to a point where right now it's on permanent hold. So the program hasn't been officially taken off the books. 
um, but uh, it's on permanent hold and there's only one uh, faculty member there uh, left uh, and she doesn't teach any physical education classes anymore. Um, so it's just kind of sitting there uh, and, you know, it's unlikely to be revived at this point. And so seeing that happen and, and living through the aftermath and, you know, watching, um, you know, somebody like my advisor, Tom Templin, who spent his whole career, you know, at Purdue working in that program and then having it kind of taken away the last few years before his retirement was was hard. And um, it made it very real for me that, that, that this is a reality that we could all be facing if we're not active and we don't um, do something about it. So I know that uh, listeners can go in and read the Joe Bird article that highlighted this. There's a, there's research written on this or papers written on this about the story of Purdue. Um, and we can link to that. But I was wondering, Kevin, uh, because it was something that you kind of lived through and, you know, your advisor, Tom Templin, uh, lived through. Can you kind of summarize just for the listeners so they get an understanding of what happened or, you know, what we're talking about in like a 30,000 foot view and you don't have to name names or anything, but I think it's a, I think it's a fascinating case study in, uh, in Pete. Uh, we've talked about this at ARA in different conference formats of what happened. And, and so maybe you can kind of bring us up to speed on that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll speak about it, uh, in somewhat of a, a general terms that, that apply to this particular situation. Um, you know, so like many other uh, PEAT programs around the country, um, the, the PEAT, PEAT at Purdue is positioned within the Department of Kinesiology. Um, uh, it's, it's, what is it, the Kinesiology and Community, no, that, that's what we are here. I don't, gosh, I don't remember the exact name of the department at Purdue and I graduated from there. Um, but anyway, uh, it's in kind of a department of kinesiology, health and kinesiology, HK, that's it. It's health and kinesiology. Got it. So, um, they're in a department of health and kinesiology and that's in kind of a, a college of, of, of applied health science. Yeah, that's not the exact name, but that's essentially the thrust. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the vision I think that, that the Dean and the department chair at the time had for that department was much more of a basic science direction that aligns more with kind of the mission that you would see in a, in a college of, of health and, and science. Um, you know, where, whereas in other places, like when I was at the University of Alabama, um, we, were in a, we were in a college of education. Uh, and in a college of education, you have a dean and presumably a department head who kind of understand the role of Pete in the broader vision of education. Um, and so I think that, that um, at, at Purdue at the time, Pete was viewed as kind of a professional field within kinesiology that had, you know, relatively low enrollments that had been falling um, and didn't really lead to much grant, uh, gen grant money generation. Uh, when, you know, uh, they, they were looking at options for, for expanding other parts of the department, it was just not one part that was perceived to be especially um, uh, especially in line with the vision, I think that they saw things going, mm -hmm. and 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 I think I'm pretty sure that all of that is discussed in the um, that it, there's an article that that uh, Tom Bonnie and I wrote in PE Links for You. Um, this mm -hmm. is an old uh, uh, column that Steve Jeffries edits, uh, and um, th th we kind of go into more detail about it there. Yeah, and and we'll link to that uh, that as well because I think that that's a big. Uh, big issue for all of us in, in different universities. We're all in different formats and with, you know, the, the conversation about what kinesiology is and how that kind of 
where does physical education fit into it? Um, I think that is different from different universities. When I was at Cal State Fullerton, we were in a kinesiology department in a college of health and human development. At Mason, we're in a uh, college of education. We were in kinesiology. This last year, we moved to the school of education um, because we saw that there was an alignment more towards what Kevin, you were talking about. And I think that those are the things that make it more difficult for us to recruit students. If you have a really popular, and I'll, I'll speak in my own opinion here, like if you have a really popular kinesiology major, a lot of students come in, major in kinesiology, they want to do personal training, or they want to go into, you know, occupational therapy or physical therapy, and they go through a couple years and they look and they talk to their academic advisor and say, look, you're not a 3.6 or a 3.7. You're probably not going to get into a PT school. They're very competitive. And so then they start looking down the line of what else they could do. Um, and we've, we have a lot of converts. I mean, at, at Mason, we have 95% of our students are community college transfers. That's a huge amount of students, but that is the traditional student now. We have very few true freshmen that come in because I think depending on the university, if you have harder and harder, you know, levels to meet to make it in. So then you're a 3.2, 3.5 student, you're acclimated to go into different, different majors. And I, I think that's part of the marginalization of physical education. And there's a lot of different uh, things there, but I think I brought up basically the whole entire paper there. And so maybe we can go back to Susanna or Ingrid and are, do you have issues in recruiting or do you feel like you're competing against different majors for that first time freshman student at your university? So I don't know if we're rec recruiting um, or competing for majors um, so much as I'll go back to a comment you just made about what department are you in and, and how is that shaped? Because I think that has direct bearing on the, the flavor, if you will, of your peak program. Um, like um, many other institutions, we are in the College of Health Sciences or in a, a um, more science-based um, college as opposed to the College of Education, but I've also taught in programs that are in colleges of education, and each of them have a different feel. And going back to what you said, Risto, if you have students who are transferring in or who decide later, maybe at the end of their sophomore year or the beginning of their junior year, and they think they want to be PT or they think they want to be OT or that's how they ended up in your department in the first place, then it's highly likely that physical education tracks have been tweaked, if you will, to allow for a more science-heavy than pedagogy heavy because you want to catch those people that are in the stream um, and because very often they're good people, but it just means that they leave with that 120 credits that's not inclusive of potentially the best kind of coursework that they could have had to make them really well-prepared, well-rounded physical educators who are really ready to serve all of the kids that they're going to interface with in the public schools. Um, and I think that there's two issues that are actually brought up in the, the article that have bearing here. And one of them is the, this notion of right-sizing. So as Kevin mentioned, as, as um, programs start to, to close, because they might be um, in a state or in an area where there's not, and there's too many programs or there's not enough um, interest to, to maintain the program, 
then we have potentially um, programs that are true peak programs that have the rich pedagogy, that have the rich pedagogical content knowledge and this, this widespread of coursework being the ones that are right sized out, if you will, because they're not housed inside of these bigger machines that are potentially like departments of kinesiology where we have all these um, allied health professionals, pre-OT, pre-T, pre-PT, et cetera, trying to migrate through. And I think that has a direct um, impact on uh, our numbers, the quality of our programs that remain, et cetera. And for me, in adapted physical education, that has a huge impact as well, because what we see most of the time with regard to adapted PE is it's folks who come back for a graduate degree in adapted PE, or they get their physical education, and then they, they get an add-on endorsement or something along those lines. So um, if we have fewer of those programs that are really designed to do a full um, uh, PE, uh, PEAT intensive PEAT program as opposed to a, a broader, um, more diversified PEAT program, um, then it's harder for me to actually recruit into the graduate program with folks who really have solid foundations in physical education. Yeah, and I, and I noticed that that right-sizing piece really stuck out to me in this, in this paper because before I went to California, California got rid of a bunch of programs that had physical education programs. So they got rid of Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, San Diego State University used to have a really strong PEAT program. It's not there anymore. Now they've started a one-year credential program, but they don't have the undergraduates to it. So when we were, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, we were the southernmost accredited university that had a PEAT program. And that's crazy because San Diego County has 3 million people. So you have from the border of Mexico all the way up to basically almost Los Angeles, you have San Bernardino out there. And, uh, but if you're looking at it, if you have a student who lives in San Diego, they no longer have a program to go to, to commute to, which is a lot of students that go to Cal States. That's a lot of students that go to state schools or commuters that they go in, they work and they go to night class or day class. Um, but I think one of those issues that that makes, we had people ask, Hey, do you have this program? They talk about it and they'd ask, well, is there something in San Diego? Well, no, there's not. You should come here. And so where do they go? They go to alternative licensure programs. They go to online programs and they become PE teachers through. So I'll throw out this other question is how dangerous are these alternative licensure programs? And I know, Kevin, you wrote about this in the in the paper as well. But um, Susanna, Ingrid, Kevin, where where do you I mean, I probably would assume where you stand on these programs, but how dangerous are they to the livelihood of of our P programs in general? That's a really important question, I think, to address, and it's something we talk a lot about and and something that I think we don't we can't get a lot of action on, because if these are opened up by the departments of education or whoever is creating them, right, there's little that we can do in higher ed to stop people from going through these alternative ways of certification. But I can tell you that um, um, I often see students who who come back, they're, they're a teacher, they're in-service teacher, and they want to come back and either get their health or their physical education certification through, you know, my institution. Um, 
but we don't have that option, you know, um, because we don't have the resources. We're, we're only, you know, able to really to service kind of traditional students um, in that regard. And, and so that's sort of a gaping hole that I see and, and one that is, is not helping the profession. Um, and I think that this is happening in a lot of places in higher ed. Um, and, and this is where I see this disconnect between who's making decisions about certification processes and procedures, who's actually providing them, and then how students can go about getting them. Um, and all of those things are like being operated independently. Um, and it, it creates a lot of problems and confusion. Yeah, uh, Rista, there's an interesting contradiction here because in many states, um, you know, the, 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 they're getting rid of or discontinuing um, uh, physical education, teacher education programs. But at the same time, they're having to create these alternative pathways into mm -hmm. teaching um, because there aren't enough people prepared. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's a number of reasons for why, um, you know, uh, programs across education, it's not just PEAT, but programs across education uh, are, are seeing kind of downturns in enrollments. Um, you know, people aren't, aren't seeing teaching as attractive of a profession uh, as perhaps they used to. But an important thing to note here, and this is where this whole contradiction just drives me up a tree, um, because while we're creating these kind of alternative back doors into teaching that are often quite simple, um, the same states are fortifying front door entrances by raising entrance requirements, adding a new tests and new hoops that recruits have to jump through. So it's like they want to make it super rigorous and hard to be a teacher the right way, the quote unquote, you know, right way. But it's, it's super easy uh, to kind of get in the back door with an emergency license and then get an alternative certification in, in some of the states that are constructing the same barriers. I mean, I, I've heard people, um, you know, give, give others advice and, and they'll say, don't go through the typical teacher education program in state X because it's easier if you do it this way. So Kevin brings up a really interesting point and, and it comes back to this right-sizing or, or elimination of programs issue as well. One of the things that I think we're not doing as much as we could or should in the U.S. is looking at developing Masters of Art and Teaching programs where folks potentially go back to those pre-OT, pre-PT kids who could finish their or their bachelor's program and then jump into our MAT programs um, and do, quote-unquote, a more physical education-rich master's program that prepares them to be a quality physical education teacher um, while at the same time adding revenue stream to these programs that might allow them to stay afloat and those courses could be cross-listed um, with additional expectations for graduate students but at the end of the day what we're trying to do is is do initial teacher certification through the bachelor's level program and or the master's level program and i think there's an opportunity there that we have not leveraged um, and and it's important because we do have a lot of students who get deep into their undergraduate program and realize you know what I really want to be as a teacher I don't want to be in um, uh, go to physical therapy school or I I am doing this particular major but really what I want to do is is physical education and it's not cost effective for them to go get another bachelor's degree which is the typical route to initial teacher certification nor is it cost effective or smart for them to jump midstream if you will especially if they're 
in, within their last year or their last three semesters of graduating. Um, the other thing is, is that each state is so, um, is so different with regard to how they um, certify teachers, what's the language, what's the requirements, et cetera. I, I taught for many years in the state of Michigan where if you wanted to become a teacher, you had to go through a, a fairly rigorous program in order to get out and become initially teacher certified. And if you wanted to add to that area, like let's say you were a secondary teacher and you wanted to add physical education, you had to take a set number of credit hours and then you could add it. Um, in other states like Texas where I teach now, I could have an elementary classroom teacher who went through a program and it was initially teacher certified, sit and take our, our praxis test for physical education. And if they pass it, now they're highly qualified and a certified teacher in physical education. And they have no formal training in it. And, and so that's one of the other teacher certification issues that we're dealing with, where folks in higher education can make a difference. They can work with their state departments of education to change those requirements and make it more challenging for folks to um, so easily enter our physical education teaching spaces. Yeah. And I think this is where this recruitment piece really comes into play. Like all of you were mentioning, where your program is located does matter. Um, and, and I'm specific because I've been in both a, a situation where the program was in a college of ed and, and currently where I'm at, it, it is not. And I think that this is where this recruitment piece is, is missing the boat for us, so to speak, in that there's a lot of recruitment by the university generally for programs that are important, right, or popular, um, or you know, big in the job market. And they get a lot of advertisements, um, you know, and things like that from the university. Whereas my program, for example, gets nothing really, except for what I do in, in, in my social media or, you know, things that I create or the small world of networking of people. And, and that's okay, but that's not enough for today's world of recruitment. And you know, and I know that in this paper that, that we're talking about, we, we talk about that. Like, I wasn't trained to be a recruiter. I have had zero training in recruitment of people. It's been learning on the job because I want to save my program or because I'm passionate about it. And that's cool and wonderful, but that's not enough. No, uh, you're entirely right about that, Ingrid. And, um, you know, I, I think at a lot of at a lot of universities that do doctoral education, not all of them uh, by any means, but, but many of them, there, there's a rather narrow focus on, on the research uh, role that we play as faculty members with, you know, other roles um, like how we do teacher education practice, including recruiting students into programs, kind of being underplayed a little bit um, or, or not given enough space and time in, in, in those programs. And, uh, you know, if, if we want faculty members to, to develop into comprehensive uh, disciplinary stewards who advance practice within the field across their teaching service and research activities, then they need to be prepared as such. Um, and if we want them to be able to be effective recruiters, then that has to be given some time and space. Um, I know that some programs have done that. I think um, Emily Jones and Brian Downhower, that whole group up at, um, uh, not Emily Jones, I'm sorry, uh, Jamie McMullen and Brian Downhower, that group up at um, uh, Northern Colorado uh, last year or the year before in a doctoral seminar, uh, I, I believe they uh, 
covered recruitment and had their doctoral students um, kind of come up with recruitment plans, which I think is a great activity for doctoral students, but I don't know that it's something that happens across a lot of places. Extend that to say what we don't do a good job at the undergraduate, master's level, or doctoral level is always teaching our students how to advocate, how to be a leader, and how to advocate because there's a that advocacy um, skill set can work for recruitment and retention and promotion of your program at, across all levels, and it, it's got to be a part of their language. And use helping them understand how to use social media effectively is important. The other piece of it too that I think is important is is looking at our own promotion materials that are in place now. Um, we had um, I was actually working with the folks in in um, our department this past summer and fall on our own promotion and recruitment materials, and um, we realized that in our attempt to um, make physical education sexy, if you will going back to this marginalization of physical education, um, we, we had morphed into this um, academy of teaching um, and coaching. And so if you Google physical education at Texas Women's University, you were only going to find our adapted PE program when we in fact have this very nice undergraduate physical education teacher education program. But the, it was missing because it was of how it was being promoted on our own site. So we had to go through the process of cleaning our own house and, and setting that up. But all of those things tie together. We've got to be able to teach our undergrads how to do it, our graduate students how to do it, and our doctoral students how to do it. And sometimes it means we have to look back at our own programs and take them through that process with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just really quickly, something to add on to that. Um, you know, if there if there's one thing that, that I would say I would want people to take away from this podcast, from my perspective after listening to it. It's that as members of this community of physical educators at both the higher education and the K-12 levels, we need to start seeing ourselves as agents of socialization and recruitment because we are. When we interact with um, you know, uh, students uh, in, in, in K-12 settings, we're giving them impressions of what it means to be a physical education teacher. Um, and those impressions frame the extent to which they view physical education as a viable or potential career option. So, you know, when we're doing pre-service pre teacher education and in-service teacher professional development, I, I think it's incumbent upon us as peak faculty members to really stress that message and help um, the, our constituents out there working in schools understand that they are agents of recruitment and they are the most effective recruiters that our field is going to have. Yeah. I think it's and, also important to help them understand that they're, they're agents of change, too, yeah. and, and engage them, whether they're the in-service teachers you have as cooperating teachers on a regular basis, or your undergraduate students or your graduate students, get them engaged in things like Shape America Speak Out Day. Um, a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, we took a whole bunch of our adapted PE master's scholars to Speak Out Day. Have them be engaged in that process. Have them understand how do policies at the federal level, state level, local level, get changed and what role can you play in changing them or shifting them in a way that is, is more appropriate and beneficial for your profession. Yeah. I, so I, I used to coach um, a division one wrestling program at Cal State Fullerton for five years. And part of my responsibilities there was recruitment and very different in, in that area of athletics recruitment. But I mean, and I don't know how this would look like in a PEEP program, but I mean, imagine giving a call to a potential student and saying, hey, we have a program at George Mason University, at Grand Valley State, at Texas Women's University. Have you thought about applying? That person who's not an athlete, who's not going into 
a university setting to play sports just got recruited for a major, like that would lean very heavily on their decision. Now, you're not offering them a scholarship. It's the same thing as you would do to a walk-on, right? And you would say, we really want you here. And just being wanted at, you know, 17, 18 years old to a university, knowing that you are going for a path, I think that's very different. And and I don't know how that how that looks, but I I look at this and my first kind of question to all of you is how is this personal to you? How is recruitment and retention personal to you? I look at that as, you know, how am I recruiting into our university now? And, you know, I went in and I look at it as as a brand. And the same thing that Kevin just said is you're an agent of recruitment and socialization. So when you go out, if I was a wrestling coach, I would talk to all the high school wrestling coaches. I would make those connections and be like, hey, when that kid becomes a senior, remember to call me like there. We are a place for that. And so building that community and having all of those recruiters, if you have a really solid program and you do good work, those high school teachers are going to continue referring those students into your program. And and I think that that also means, you know, Susanna, you talked about this of, you know, making sure your promotional materials are correct. I Google searched the George Mason uh, physical education program. I just, I was in Virginia and I Google searched physical education programs near me or physical education programs in Virginia. And there are all these for-profit universities that came up before us. Like we were on page five of Google searches. And that means you don't exist. You don't exist if you have to click through five O's in the Google. And, and so we went through and talked to our IT department and we looked at search engine optimization terms and they did an analysis and now we're, we're moving up. And that's because what is a 17 year old who's thinking about college? If they think about where they want to go, like physical education programs near me, gym programs near me, PE programs near me. If those search terms in your IP address are not coming up, you have a problem because how else are they going to find mm-hmm. out about your program? You know, what, uh, agree completely, Risto. Um, you know, one thing that I want to throw out there just to kind of temper uh, a little bit of what I said before, um, not, not in the extent to which I believe that it's important, but in the extent to which uh, faculty, it becomes part of faculty responsibility. Um, you know, this can't just be one more unpaid thing that faculty, one more unpaid service thing that faculty are asked to do that, that doesn't really, you know, one of those things that we all contend with that you kind of have to do, but it really doesn't factor into your load at all. You really don't see how it factors into your compensation or pay structure. It's just you're told you have to do it and it kind of gets thrown under that ambiguous umbrella of service. Um, you, you, you know, it, it's just too important of a thing. Um, to, to not give faculty credit for. Uh, so, so I think that that needs to kind of be considered. And, and this is, you know, this is a comment that I think echoes across university structures, not just PEAT programs. Um, you know, I think that, that across education and university universities more generally, faculty are being asked more and more to take active roles in recruiting students into their programs and even in their courses. Um, you know, we were told at Illinois that, that we should advertise our classes, put up flyers, send out emails. You know, those are things that 
that, you know, faculty members haven't always been expected to do in the past. You know, students just kind of show up and we teach them. We don't really think too much about how they get there. I think that's changing. And if it's going to change, I think the way that we understand faculty work needs to change accordingly. Yeah, I just need to echo exactly what you said, because, you know, even in the last five years, I've seen the expectation of these are just things that you should do has increased so much that it, you know, it takes away from other things like planning your classes, right? Um, all of these things that are also important. I mean, you know, I started taking the, the physical education majors out to local high schools when they had like career fairs. And that's great, and I loved doing it, but that takes up half of my day or an entire day, right? Um, and, and so these kinds of things need to start to be incorporated as a part of a faculty member's workload in, in some way other than it's, oh, you just need to do it. Yeah, and I think, Kevin, in, in the paper, you, you brought up this type of recruiting and you talked about active forms of recruiting. Um, I, I, we do the same thing uh, as Ingrid. We go into community colleges, we go into secondary schools, and we kind of give a spiel. Again, it's tough because it's a limited amount of audience and you spend half a day driving out to the university and then or the community college and coming back. So for a six-hour effort, you might recruit a few. We have been asking, where did you come from? How did you find the physical education department? And we're seeing... Oh, Miss Kraut came into my uh, community college class, Education 200 at Nova Community College, and we're like, "Oh, so it's working." But are there other things that Kevin you want to highlight? Uh, social media stuff, or you know, you made some recommendations on there on on social media presence of your physical education program. So maybe we can talk about what your social media presence is, Kevin, Susanna, Ingrid in your specific university for physical education? Do you have one? Who runs it? Should you have one? <laughs> Who should run it? Because uh, I know that that's, that, again, is another added kind of layer to that. Yeah, we, we don't have a very strong social media presence. Uh, our, our department just kind of got on the social media train recently, and the college started their own like Twitter account and Facebook account. Um, those are the only social media I do. I think they do other things as well. Um, but uh, you know, we really haven't gotten that down to the program level yet. Uh, at Ohio State, they did they did a really interesting kind of year long uh, social media push where they even brought in, I think interns who were working in like marketing and social marketing departments on campus and had them intern and really develop a strong social media presence for um, the physical education program at, at Ohio State and, and I think that they kind of walked away with that walked away with that with some mixed opinions about it um, you know in terms of the the time and effort that it takes to invest to really do it right um, you know you know is that worth the, the push uh, I'd like to think that it is especially if you use it well in terms of connecting with alumni and connecting with local teachers uh, and teachers across the state who could help kind of funnel students towards the program. Um, but, you know, those are all things that take quite a bit of effort. Um, and so I think that, you know, part partnering with somebody like a marketing or with a, another program on campus, like a marketing department and looking for interns that, that are looking for, um, you know, placements and, and offering that as an internship could be a really viable way to do that at, uh, at low to no cost. There's, there's something to be said, too, for recruiting your students to help you do that. Um, 
again, model what you what you need and want done. We don't have the social media presence for um, our physical education program that we need. We do have a Facebook and, and um, Twitter account for the APE um, program, and I am the one that does it, and I've kind of slacked off as of late. Uh, with all our extra new COVID responsibilities, but um, but I always recruit the students to help and and getting them to tag things or to share things or to retweet, et cetera, expands your network. But that's also teaching them a valuable um, social media skill that they'll need as a professional to advocate for their program or to promote what they're doing, et cetera. So I really think that um, as we're doing it, you know, start small, do a manageable piece you can manage um, and work with your resources at the university, but recruit your students to help you do it so that they're learning a life skill as well that will help both, both parties. Yeah, I do kind of the same things, you know, I mean, um, I, I even have students in our intro class create a professional twitter account and i have them start to follow a certain number of people and then branch out and then spot check this throughout their time in the program in other classes and and seeing how they're doing it um you know and and these things help i think the other thing that helps is you know i maintain connections with my alumni and with current in-service teachers and so when they tag me in something or i tag them on something then maybe it's trickling down to high school students right um uh and so that's something to do it but i just i feel like it's just still not quite enough it's a good start and i think it's this is much better than it's it's been in you know the past five years but it's it's still I still haven't found this magic way to reach those middle and high school students to get them to really buy into education as a career path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have, um, we have a alumni group that has, uh, on Facebook that, um, Dominique Banville runs. We have our Pete's group. So the physical education teacher education society has their own Twitter, Instagram, and probably something else, uh, Facebook, I think. But so they post things like a weekly workout and they've done like a really good job in staying on top of that. I started an Instagram for our Fed department off of one of these meetings that I had that I got guilt tripped. I'm like, oh, we're not on social media. We should do this. And it's not easy. Like it's not easy to create content if I wanted a lot of followers and people to know our program through Instagram, I would need to weekly put up a tag game, uh, a something that, you know, people would consume and see and, and find it meaningful. So I could always be coming up on that stream. And so, I mean, that yep. I'd say is a four five hour a week job. Great for a yep. undergraduate master student, PhD student to run it, but to ask for a faculty member to fully engage and run a, a professional looking social media account is, I think it's unrealistic. Yeah, it, it, particularly it, since there's no promotion and tenure value to it in the current structure. I yeah. mean, it's just not. The flip side of the coin with regard to retention would be to support our student, our graduates in, during their induction years to say to them, hey, if you're struggling in your first year of teaching, I'll come out and do some site visits. I'll help you through that business. And I, I value that so much. I actually built it into my master's grant. But again, that is, to uh, Ingrid's point earlier, that is a great amount of time that gets sucked into that 
that you then have to say, okay, what else on my plate am I not going to accomplish today because I have to go do this other thing, which again is not valued, and I'm going to throw air quotes around the valued by my institution. Um, it is, but not within my promotion and tenure structure. Yeah, and this just kind of helps to show why, um, you know, like celebrities and and uh, uh, people in pop culture and public figures have whole teams of people that run their social media for them. Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that we all, you know, we're all on social media. We all, or many of us are, and we all kind of run our own social media and engage with it however we want to. And I think sometimes we fall into this trap of thinking, oh, it won't be that hard to start a Twitter account for you know, my, de my department or my program, then it ends up being a lot more work than you think it's going to. Um, you know, we, we started a, a Twitter account for the AERA PE SIG, uh, and I was in charge of that for the first year. And I'll be honest, I didn't tweet a whole heck of a lot. Um, and it was so much work, and we recognized that, that we created a position on our board for somebody who is responsible for it. Um, but, you know, one, one thing I want to kind of tack on here um, to the larger conversation is I think we've kind of been talking a lot over the last couple of minutes of how peak faculty, how people like us can get involved in this process. And that's important, and I don't want to downplay that. But I think that that has to be done in conjunction with, um, with, with activities that, that in-service teachers are engaging in. They're the boots on the ground. They're the ones that have the kids come to them in physical education, who they see on a daily basis, who they build relationships with. They're going to take what they say much more seriously than you know, me when I show up to their school for 45 minutes in a shirt and tie. You know, it's just, it's very different. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, partnering with them and empowering them to, to see themselves as agents of socialization who have a responsibility, much like we do, to help ensure a favorable future for the field. Um, you know, we can all play this disciplinary steward role if, if we view it that way. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. Um, I, I think... You know, Ingrid and I wrote a, a really popular Shape America blog. I mean, it was it was just it almost went viral. Uh, but in it, we talk about having a secondary teacher just ask the question, "Have you thought about teaching?" That's it. Like, if I can ask one thing from anybody who's in a secondary teaching health and physical education position, ask certain students that you feel like are good fits, not. I play baseball, therefore I'm going to be a good PE teacher. It's someone, you know, even outside of that, what we have been recruiting of a traditional PE student in air quotes, and just ask them like, hey, have you thought about teaching? And maybe they go into teaching something else. That's fine. And but maybe they'll teach health and physical education and know where your local programs are, know where the quality accredited universities are. And when you ask this in their junior year, they start thinking about it and then they start thinking about where to go to college, right? Or in their sophomore year in certain states, that's the last time they have to take PE. So in their junior year, you stay in contact, get them. Uh, and I, in that article, Kevin, you brought up a couple, you know, physical education, teacher education, professionals clubs at the high school level or creating course content that could be uh, added on as an elective in their junior and senior year where they're co-teaching or learning how to teach PE and getting credit for that um, as an internship at the high school level in places that have a little bit of flexibility. But I think, you know, I will, I will add that. And, and my last kind of thing is 
that's what I would want. If somebody's listening to this still and is a secondary PE teacher and has never asked that question to anybody, just do it once. Just ask one person, yep. whether it's in a chat during uh, during your virtual classes or in person, just, just ask that question. Have you thought about teaching? And, and, and Risto, I think that that's the perfect place to start. Um, you know, I think the idea of, of becoming a recruiter for the field, you know, for both faculty and for um, in-service teachers can feel like a really daunting thing, uh, you know, especially right now with our current structures where none of us really get rewarded for that and doesn't factor into any of our work at all. Um, but it really can just all start with that one question. And then you can grow from there to the extent that you feel is appropriate and within your within your uh, bounds and skill set. I mean, uh, shout out to Greg Burt, who um, who came to me a few years ago with the idea for a Jopert article focused on a, uh, um, a, a future teachers club that, that he uh, runs um, at his high school in Washington State. Uh, it's an absolutely amazing idea that really takes and packages a lot of different idiosyncrasies. Um, or episodic um, strategies together into one kind of umbrella approach with consistent engagement over time. It's kind of like pre-teacher education. It's kind of a neat idea, but but not everybody has the structure or the time or or the know-how or the, the motivation to be able to do that. But it really does all just start with that one question. Yeah, we've got some organic places to ask that. Like uh, oh, down here in Texas, there's a lot of what we call partner PE classes where it's a portion of the class is students with disabilities and the other portion is um, the general physical education population. And a lot of the times those students that are in there are teaching their peers every day and they're getting good at it, but we don't ever ask them, hey, have you ever thought about being a teacher? Um, and, and we've got naturalistic or organic places to do it and we're, sometimes we're missing the boat. Yeah. And and I, I think I have like seven different topics to discuss, but we've been almost going for uh, coming up here on, on the hour. So um, why don't we, if you have any final thoughts or final things that are that are burning on your on your paper there that you want to bring up um, or any any suggestions that you would have for whether that's Pete faculty who are listening or secondary teachers or primary teachers of what what can they do to to help? I think I just want to sort of remind or, or echo that um, this needs to happen across many different areas. It can't just, the burden can't just be on one group or, you know, one position. It needs to come from in-service teachers, from the community, from the PEAT programs, from the departments of education who make decisions, um, you know, it needs that come from all of these different areas, from the universities, um, not just your department or your program. You know, we need a, a, a much more global approach. I think we need to let our students in on the secret too. If we use occupational socialization theory as, as a guiding um, framework, they need to know early in our PEAT programs, hey, what you do in the classroom matters. And, and because your training, if you will, the next round of physical educators that could potentially come through the pipeline, help them understand that process. Help while they're engaged in our program and they're passionate about the majors that they're pursuing, leverage that so that they understand what happens beyond their time with us in higher education and how critically important that is to the next generation of 
um, physical education teachers, but also kind of cultivating um, the term that, that Kevin uh, keeps referring to, this disciplinary steward, right? Help, mm-hmm. help them understand the role that they play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kevin, final thoughts? Yeah, uh, uh, Susanna said, you know, pretty much word for word, word what I was going to say, just in terms of, of thinking about this from a socialization perspective, which, you know, is just kind of the way that I tend to see it. Um, I, and, and, you know, you're right. Uh, I think if we get our students into our programs and we help them to understand the role that they play as recruiters uh, and really just kind of build that into part of the professional ethic of, of being a teacher, part of your responsibility by virtue of the fact that you're a teacher is ensuring a favorable future for the field and for the discipline, uh, but by doing your part to, to do your job effectively and to identify and create pathways for uh, people who could follow in your footsteps. And I, I think that those are just core things to what we do as, as teachers if, if we want our profession to uh, survive and thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And so this week on Thursday, February 11th, 4 p.m. Eastern, we have uh, our Peak Collaborative. Um, if you don't get the emails for that, send me an email or send me a message on Twitter. Uh, I can send you the link to get to that. We're going to be talking about recruitment and retention from the Pete, uh, Pete standpoint. Um, and then in the spirit of um, recruitment and retention, uh, Susanna, I know that you have some uh, great news about uh, a grant and some opportunities for masters and PhD students. So um, I'll, I'll let you uh, close out with a little bit of a free plug for people who are seeking higher education. I appreciate that, Risto. Yeah, so um, Texas Women's University was fortunate enough to be one of the um, programs that was funded by the Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs for a master's program, uh, interdisciplinary master's program that trains adapted PE teachers along with speech language pathology um, specialists to uh, they get their master's degree, work together, and um, eventually become um, nationally certified adapted physical educators through the APENS process. And we are currently funded through 2023. Our program is funded. There are other programs like University of Wisconsin La Crosse, I believe, is also funded. Um, California Chico, I believe, has funding. There's a variety of programs around the U.S. So if PWU or moving to Texas isn't your thing, look around. There are other programs where if you're interested in APE, you could go potentially get some really good graduate level support for a master's degree and um, additional training in APE. The other thing is um, we were also fortunate to be a part of a um, institution of higher education consortium. It's a multi-institution adapted physical activity mentorship in consortium, excuse me, MAMC. If you um, look that up, you'll be able to find it. But it's Texas Women's University along with Eastern Carolina University, the Ohio State University, Old Dominion, Delaware, West Virginia, University of Virginia. I'm forgetting somebody and I'm going to be in trouble for that. Um, But there's a good number of programs and those support doctoral level training in the area of adapted physical activity. Um, So again, another way to to extend um, your education with support um, in our field. Awesome. And we'll if anybody link... has any questions, they can contact me. Okay. And we'll link to that in the show notes there. So uh, thank you to everybody. Really appreciate it. And uh, hope to uh, see you all on the Peak Collaborative call as well.
If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also gonna get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.